And welcome everybody to Beer, Bourbon, and Balderdash. <gasps> Balderdash. Hey, uh, John, what episode is this? 69. 69, dudes! Yeah, that's right. It's 69, dudes. And we are children. And we we are we are actually. Men. I mean, like like teenage boys. Yeah, yeah. We're <laughs> we're thirteen. We're not twelve so, anymore. So stupid. Or or we're uh, we're sixteen because in Washington State it, you can uh, never mind. So um, take it take take it easy. <laughs> How you been, Johnny? Uh, pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, still here in the Providence. Uh, Helen's back in Seattle. So I know we um, saw her the other day. Yeah, things are always better when she's around. So you're welcome. Yeah. Uh, but good. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, we had your lovely wife over on Sunday with Danelle. Uh, so I get I get all the the females of my friends who are in other places in the world. Max is flying around doing his thing, and uh, and you're in Providence. So I get your wives, uh, and uh, ha ha. <laughs> so just Take me with the, me with the ladies it was pretty pretty awesome for, fortunate for you yeah and my dad came over because we have sunday <clears> dinners <throat> with my dad and uh i think he enjoyed their company as well so uh he got to eat with them helen actually got to eat with us and that was nice oh, and, that's great uh, before she ran off to the softball game and then uh Danelle stuck around and we played cards with my dad and and he had a good time i think he likes he likes other guests he doesn't want people at his home uh, cause they hang around. He's kind of a hermit like that. Um, but he doesn't mind it when it's at my house cause he can join the people and then he can leave without telling them to get lost. So mm. I think he oh, likes, yeah. I think he likes that one better. Yep. He can get just enough interaction before he's got to go. That's right. Yep. So, and you know, it's, it's nice having the ladies around. I think he appreciates that because they're a lot kinder than maybe the guys are. So, mm. Yeah. So, uh, what's our what's our beer? Let's get into it, man. Because we got we're going to get into stuff it. to talk about. Uh, this is a craft brewing classic, especially if you're from the <laughs> Seattle area. Mm-hmm. Uh, tonight, appropriately, we are drinking Kilt Lifter Kilt from Pike Brewing Lifter. Company. I love Kilt Lifter. I love Kilt Lifter too. This is one of my first loves of of uh, craft beers. This is a Scotch ale, and I think it's yep seven point six percent. It'll get you schnockered. Yep. Uh, oh. Made right in Seattle. Oh, that's oh, sound. beautiful. Balderdashers, you can find this in Seattle, and I think Pike's big enough. It might even be nationwide um, mm-hmm. because oh, they're, yeah. they're now distributed. They're not just such a craft thing anymore. I think they were bought out by someone, weren't they? Uh, I don't know. I was trying to look that up. I I think – so Charles Finkel is still the owner. Mm-hmm. Um, his, his wife, Roseanne, uh, she died in 2020, unfortunately. Mm. Um. But they don't. All they say on their about page is the people who work there. So I didn't. I don't actually know. Okay. Uh, they started in 1989, though, and yeah. they are still, I think, in their original location. Yeah. Yes. Uh, they've changed their cans and stuff, but I have to tell you, this is actually also my first ever Scotch ale when I was of age to drink, and I love it. There's only one other Scotch ale that I like, and that's from Silver City. Oh, this is pretty good too. There's a couple other good ones out there. I actually make this is one of my beers that I make really well. I make oh. a Scotch ale. Maybe that's why we're such good friends. Yeah, probably. Yeah. All right. All right. Bottoms well, up. Cheers. 
Oh, that is good. Malty, oh. balanced. It's yeah. got that kind of, um, it's got just the right amount of bitterness. Yeah. Oh, this is delicious. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Super it's wonderful. Like, it's almost like, uh, I don't want to say burnt caramel, but it does have a little bit of a burnt flavor mm-hmm, to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but definitely very caramely. Oh, it's yummy. Yeah. And it's it's dark. It looks pretty dark, too, when you pour it in your glass. Yeah. And Scotch ales are really interesting as a style, too, because they actually do. I mean, they're they're just like you would think. They come from Scotland, and there's actually three different Scotch ales. Um, there's a 70, a, a 60, a 70, and an 80 shilling mm-hmm. version. And it refers to what they used to cost. That's what it would cost to buy one. Um, and they progressively oh, get bigger really? and, and heavier as you go. Um, but they'd also be called light, heavy, and export. The export one would be the biggest one. That'd be an 80 shilling. Um, yeah, so there's like, that's a pretty broad ca- category, but they're generally pretty malty. Uh, not a lot of hops because um, the British put a lot of tax on the hops. And so they used to other things. Um, and malt and grain was a little cheaper because they could grow it themselves, but they couldn't really grow hops very well. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So, so, so this is a Scottish thing. This is a. It is a Scottish thing, and it, and the reason there was just three strengths of beer is what they would actually do. And I've tried this unsuccessfully. I mean, I've made beers like this, and they turned out okay, but not traditional. Yeah. Is you would take a really large grain bill, and you would make. Um, the 80 shilling beer first. This is just called party guile style brewing. Uh, you do the 80, um, the 80 shilling beer first and you'd essentially like beer three, uh, brew three beers off the same batch of grain. Sometimes you would add a little bit more hops to it or add a little bit more grain to change the flavor a little bit. Um, but traditionally you just do a first runnings. That was your first big beer. You do a second runnings to wash more sugar out and then a third runnings to get your last one. So they'd be progressively lighter and lighter as you go. Cause there'd be less and less sugar left. Um, but it would be like three beers made off of one batch of grains. It's very efficient. Yeah. I tried it once. It didn't go well. Yeah. How far did you make yeah. it? Uh, well, I mean, I brewed them all. Yeah. The last one didn't just, it was so light and flavorless. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I did wrong. I think part of it is like, there's, there's a, there's a bit of a trick to it where you have to stop extracting sugars at a specific time. So there's enough sugar left to do the next batch. Okay, yeah. And I didn't really do that very well. Could I'm not good add? at measuring things. You can't add sugars though, right? Yeah, you can add sugars, but they're not going to be the, like you're, you're getting the malt out of it, which is a version of sugar and you could add dry malt extract or liquid malt extract yeah. if you wanted to. I'm sure that would work to, to raise the, the, um, the uh, original gravity up. Um, I just never tried it. I was yeah. trying to be traditional Wes. It sounds like, I mean, w- once you're home permanently, whenever that will be, um, I would love to sit with you and just kind of watch the, I know it's boring probably for you to just, I like the chemistry mm-hmm. of it. And, it's pretty fun. And I've heard from other people who have witnessed Johnny No Pants create his beer that it's <laughs> a magical thing because he don't follow any uh, measurements. It's kind of like, yeah, this, this looks good here. And yeah, I, yeah, I think I'll do that. And then it turns out it like this like. magical bottling and everyone <laughs> loves it. And it's like, I don't know. I can't recreate, you know, you try to recreate it, but you just kind of like, yeah, I did this and did that. And Abacadabra, it was something yummy. So it, it's a little bit of a fallacy in that, like, I do know what I'm doing and I do pay attention, but there are moments like, like where it really comes in, into play is like with the hops and the grain bill. Mm-hmm. 
Um, because one of the things I'll do when I'm making a beer, especially for the first time, is I'll go into the grain store. And I learned this out of one of my books, one of my brewing books. So you go into the grain store and you chew a little bit of the malt to see how it tastes. And I'll adjust my mm. malt bill okay. on the fly in the in the store just because I, I think adding more biscuit malt and less chocolate malt might be a good idea. Sure. So... Um, but that's where like sometimes I can't recreate them because I'm really bad at writing it down or yeah. I lose the recipe or I don't write down what I did. So then it's like, okay, well, this is one and done. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Limited run. This is it. Yep. Yep. And, and Mikey just thinks that I'm like a free for all a hippie out making alcohol in my backyard. But there's process. Wait a minute. There's You're more, not. There's a. Uh, it's in your bathtub. A, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot more. There's a lot more attention to detail. Like I use software to track everything. Yeah. So it's not, it's not quite as magical. Yeah. You're not, uh, but, as... not but sometimes I get drunk and, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It still turns out. Okay. <laughs> I could just see you in there drinking, drinking, uh, from your own supply and like, I don't know. I'm going to just throwing stuff in there. Interestingly enough. I don't know I why I've never heard you talk like that, but that's just in my mind. That's like, <laughs> you, you're like, uh, the Tasmanian devil all of a sudden. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what I do. <laughs> um, funny enough, I don't actually particularly like the beers that I make. Oh, for you the most don't? part. No. <laughs> like, oh. I've had a lot of beers I've made where people are like, this is amazing. Like so much so that our friend Gene asked me to brew beer for his wedding. And he specifically asked for a cream ale that I make. And he wanted two full-size kegs of it. So yeah. 30, 31 gallons. And I made them for him. But I was like, I don't know why people like this beer. It's not that good. Apparently people liked it. Is it like a la Boddington's? Uh, it's, it was more like Hales. Oh, Hales. Okay. Yeah. It's a little more like Hales cream ale. Had a bit of corn in it. It was really light, um, fairly light in flavor, but flavorful. It's good. Yeah. I mean, it, it's good as homebrewed beer can be. Yeah. We're always our own worst critics though, aren't we? Yeah. There are a couple beers though that I've made where I've been like, mm, I'm not sharing this. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to. Mostly the ones that age, like the Scottish ale that I made. That was one that was meant to age for six months. It did not last that long. <laughs> it was too it was good. good. Did too you write? Good. Did you write down that recipe? Oh yes, I have okay, that good. one. Yeah, so that's awesome, man. Well, tonight for our bourbon, as we move along here in the show, uh, we're going to do Knob Creek, which is a small batch, which we already talked about as a gimmick. Mm -hmm. uh, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey in Claremont, Kentucky. It is their own distillery. It is, it is their own thing. Distilled and bottled by Knob Creek Distilling Company in Kentucky. And I got to say, this is probably one of the nicer bottles. I like these bottles. They uh, mm -hmm. Not just the label and the shape of the bottle, and it's kind of got like a wavy glass on it, which is always kind of cool to me. But um, the wax on the top, which does nothing to preserve anything. It's just a, just a nice touch, basically. So, But at least they put a nice tab on it for you to rip the top off. Yeah, that was a pain in the ass, though, still. I got I to gotta mm -hmm. admit. And get the yeah. waxy, gooey stuff all over your hands. Um, they want to make sure you're not drunk when you open the box. Yeah, that's right. I can't open the box. I guess I'm done tonight. <laughs> like, I'm going to go back to Evan Williams. <laughs> Early times. <laughs> uh, so this is uh, the Knob Creek. It's the nine-year-old. So it's 100 proof. You got the same one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I made sure I looked at the pictures to make sure. but I Yeah, just, that's I why I sent you that. a picture, not just yeah. sent you a text. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Want to make sure you got the right one. Yeah. So normally, um, if people don't know, uh, normally, unless if it's younger than four years old, 
Uh, labeling regulations say that you have to say that the it, uh, that the youngest whiskey in the bottle is under four years old. Okay, so if it's over four years old, meaning it's aged over four years old, uh, they don't have to do that. So, mm-hmm. um, but Knob Creek does. And so when someone does this where it says age nine years, what they're telling you is that all the whiskey in this bottle must be at least settled. Mm-hmm. So it could be blended with older stuff, but at least it's nine years old in this. So I just want to make sure that uh, people understand that. So, um, so that they're aware because it's a little, <laughs> little cool thing. And this one is a hundred proof. Usually we're drinking about the 40%. This tonight is going to be the 50%. And let's uh, pop it open. All right. I, I already got it ready to go. Whew. Nice. I wanted the sound effect. I love it. By the way, while you're doing that, their website is pretty hilarious uh, because they have a lot of reviews on them and they're not all flattering. I mean, they're like weird. They're none of them are bad, but one of them's like, uh, I wish I'd go back to the old style 1.75 liter bottles because I have a pour for large bottles and those bottles won't fit in them. Yeah. <laughs> but the but the bourbon is their favorite. Yeah, it's notes. They're here are my notes. Yep. I heard their rye is fantastic. I have yet to have their rye, but I heard their rye was actually really, really good too. So yeah, there's a lot of welcome back, Knob Creek, best bourbon in South Korea. Yeah, I'm sure they pick these. And they have other stuff. I guess they have a smoked maple one. I didn't see that one. Uh they have a single barrel and a single barrel mm. select, and those are all 120 proof. So it doesn't look like they have anything that is uh lower than hundred proof. That seems Wait, like it's interesting they have it over in Korea. That's yeah. I like that. It's kind of fun. Yeah. All right. So well, the cheers. smell. Oh, got to start there. Yeah. Smells like a bourbon. I love bourbon. I love mm-hmm. the smell of bourbon. You know, I have a friend who doesn't like bourbon. Do you? Yeah. He says it's too sweet. Oh, well, that's interesting. He doesn't like it. He likes whiskey. Definitely yeah. he likes his whiskey. He doesn't like the the sweetness that comes with bourbons. Oh, that is interesting to me because that's one of the things that I think people do like about bourbons, especially, and that might be deceiving in, in which case mm-hmm. as you drink it, it's like, whew, like, ah, oh, that hits you in the mouth. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we had, uh, Dana's cousins over for dinner last night. Uh, they're visiting from California and he likes bourbon. Um, but he likes kind of bourbon as he describes it, which I thought was a pretty good description where it's smooth when it goes in and then it punches you in the mouth later. So it's hot in the back. He likes, he likes oh. smooth in the front and hot in the back. Hot in the back. Yeah, there's got to be a name for that. Hot in the back. Yeah, it's called it's called the whiskey mullet. It's called the ringer. Yeah, the whiskey mullet. Oh, I think, yes, I like that whiskey mullet. S- smooth in the front, hot in the back. That's very, very good. Yep. So, uh, yeah. Copyright so, 2023. So, as I give it a nice sniff here, as we do a little sniffy sniff. Yeah, I get all the oak characteristics. Mm, yep. Woody. Vanilla. A, yep. Caramel. I feel like this is one that's always just, it's like, like if you were to just say what a bourbon should smell and taste like, this is just what it is. Yeah. It's like, they just nailed that profile. Yep. At a hundred proof. And now some people, <clears throat> some people don't like 80 proof bourbons. They actually like it a little higher proof. They think it, so a they lot like more, the hot. well, a lot more comes out in the flavor too. So we're going to find mm-hmm. that out right now. So cheers, my friend. Cheers. Well, weak. Mm. Oh, that is super smooth. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's got cinnamon in it too. Yeah, it does have a little little bit of a bite, not an alcohol bite. It's got um there's a spice to it. Yeah. I get cinnamon. 
that's uh, kind of like the spicy part of it. Because mm-hmm. when it first came in, vanilla, caramel, sweet, the mouthfeel was velvety. And now yeah. we're at, uh, yeah, that cinnamon. But it didn't burn down the throat. It's kind of lingering on the tongue. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm salivating tremendously mm-hmm. as I'm talking because mm-hmm. it's on the tongue. <clears throat> that's really yummy, though. Mm-hmm. And I like the higher proof. It does actually make it more flavorful, I think. Yeah, for sure. They would agree. Now, their description was a little weird, I'll have to say. They said um, the color is copper to medium amber. I don't know why they didn't do smell on their website. Mm. Um, Yeah, they don't have nose on it. Yeah, but taste, it says rich, sweet, woody, full-bodied. I'd agree with all those. But then it says almost fruity. Mm. What is almost fruity? How do you get almost fruit? Yeah, that is a weird one because <laughs> you would feel like it either does or does not. Yeah. I mean, subtly fruity, I guess you yeah. could say, but yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, you get like the, there's a little bit of like a like a dark cherry kind of. But then say cherry it, like, or be specific, like fruit, hints of yeah. fruit, hints of fruit could be almost fruity. Uh huh. There you go. I think hints. I think we should call them. We should. I'm going to leave a review. At, hopefully, they'll post her on their website. And say, uh, your bourbon was almost fruity or had hints of fruit. Please change this. I'll give him my yes, notes. Please, please adjust. I'll do my Larry, my best Larry David impression of giving my notes. I'm just saying. I'm just, you know. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm not, no offense. I just, uh, I just thought you might like to know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Mm. But that was good. And I really mm-hmm. do like the high proof. That's much better. I do, too. Very delicious does have a nice little bit of a uh, lingering throat burn. Yeah. yeah and the cinnamon comes mind. out a little bit later. I think uh, what I'll do. So one of the great tricks that we can do here is we can get a little bit of water. And we can proof it down a little bit. I'm going to put two drops in. And what that does is it breaks up the molecules in the bourbon with the water. And then you can get a little bit more uh, flavor out of it oftentimes. Not so much smell, but you can get more flavor out of it. Yeah, it's a lot more vanilla and caramel than it is cinnamon. But yeah, it's interesting. So I really get, I like that. So thank you, Knob Creek. That is mm-hmm. delicious. Nicely done. Yeah. Um. So tonight's topic, uh, mm-hmm. since it is episode 69, uh, we're going to, I thought it'd be best instead of just being uh, ridiculously raunchy. Uh, I thought it might be good to talk about the sex talk. Oh, yeah. The sex talk is a good one. I think the sex talk is like a <laughs> universal thing um, that m- most people have had. But actually, I, to be honest, I've discovered because I asked on No Agenda Social, Instagram, Twitter, like, what was your sex talk experience like? Um, and I'll share some of those uh, in a moment. But, John, I want to start off with you. Like, what? What was your sex talk? Did you have a sex talk? Uh, I did. It was with my mom. My dad. I grew up in a household where the word sex was a bad word. So like I was sort of raised to be uncomfortable whenever you'd fill out a form that was like, what's your sex? Oh, just just by saying the word. My dad was like so super conservative. Um, did you I got run around the house? Clearly. Sex you. <clears throat> my I'll, mo- well, I'll sex no, you yeah, good. All, all the time. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> 
one time, actually, my brother and I did a lip sync thing show from my parents to I think we're alone now, and it got stopped very quickly. My dad did not like that we were lip syncing to a woman's song about getting busy in an alleyway. That's funny. So, so, so that was but that was song. not the sex talk. Uh, I know. Is that Children Debbie Gibson? Behave. Was that Deb- uh-huh. Debbie Gibson? Yeah. I think so, yeah. Children behave. We're terrible at that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's we pretty bad. stop. All uh, our listeners yeah. left. Trina, are you still there? <laughs> Listener. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Trina says she has to tune it out because uh, it's the we're talking about six years. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I never had a sex talk from my dad, but my yeah. dad died when I was 17. At one point, my mom gave me a sex talk, and I can't remember if it was before or after he died, but mm-hmm. it basically went something to the effect of, John, keep it in your pants. Oh. That, that was it. Oh, Okay. Yeah, and then in like junior high, I had a girlfriend, and um, her mom was convinced we were having sex, and we were not. And she called my mom to talk to her about what they were going to do about us having sex. Yeah, and and she made my mom so uncomfortable, and she kept saying, <laughs> "There will be no babies, whatever that means. There will be no baby." And we're, like my girlfriend and I could overhear having this conversation with my mom. I didn't hear my mom's side of it, but I felt really bad. <laughs> she was very direct. Probably made my mom a bit uncomfortable, but was my she, mom was a bit of a bit of a hippie. So was she a Mormon uh, too? The girlfriend? No, okay. no, not even close. She was a quote unquote Catholic. Oh yeah. Well, they're wild. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those Catholic girls. They they were a holiday Catholic. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So like Easter, yeah. uh, Halloween. That's pew, when they would go to pew church. warmers. Probably not Halloween. <laughs> yeah, probably not <laughs> Halloween service at the church. <laughs> I can't believe that's uh, they there. call that a harvest festival. Harvest festival. Yeah, they have to. Let's... We have to redeem all the things. By the way. Oh yeah, we can't call them by what they actually are. No. Well, because All Saints Day, so they can celebrate All Saints Day the next day. Oh, okay. Which is the Catholic holiday to combat against Halloween. So, what day is the day you burn witches because they were trying to have sex? And every day is a witch burning day, dude. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you just you find one, mm-hmm. you burn one. I mean, it's just how it goes. Mm-hmm. I do that except with joints. Yeah. You you burn witches. That's what you call my joints. No, I find joints. I burn joints. That's just kidding. I don't actually smoke much weed. Somebody told me the other day they thought I was a big pot smoker. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what are you talking about? Oh, it's Helen. It's Helen's. Helen's Helen's spreading rumors. Yeah. It was Helen's friend Maria. And she she started asking me about weed because she was like, she was asking me like very detailed questions about weed and like, asking me to give her some like in-depth knowledge because she just assumed I knew. And then when I was like, I don't know, I don't like really do a lot of edibles and smoke a lot of weeds. So I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, what? I thought you did it like every day. I think the fact <laughs> that you just said smoke a lot of weeds tells a lot us of weeds. everything we need to know right there. I don't even like smoking. <clears throat> I do enjoy edibles. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I, I think, I think going back to the, uh, I think oh, we yeah. should Tell start me. calling joints witches. So witches. every time we're like, I'm going to go burn some witches and then just go burn a witch and go burn a witch and just see what people do. I think that's a good, I think that's a new term. Go yeah, burn a I, witch. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, this joint is male. So I'm going to go burn a warlock. I'm going to go warlock it. <laughs> going to put a warlock in my mouth. Yeah. Okay. Well, back to. What yeah. The sex talk. talk like. <clears throat> no. So what did your mom say? That's it. She just said, keep it in your pants. And then the conversation after she talked to my girlfriend's mom, she didn't say a word. Oh. 
Nothing. So was that disappointing to you? I mean, did you no. want a talk? No. Did you I didn't want, know any Did better. you want your dad to tell you about it? Nope. And you have older brothers, nope. right? Or are you the oldest? Uh, no, I'm not the oldest. I have two older brothers. Yeah, but I did I find a big box of porn in the garage in a house we rented. So I got some education there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would have to agree. I think I think the uh, porno mags that my dad had and that my uh, neighbor had and uh, all before my dad told me anything about it, I, I was pretty well versed in what it looks like and how it's supposed to function and, and work and whatnot. Yeah, the bits and bobs. Yeah, the bits and bobs. My dad got out an inflatable woman and uh, proceeded to uh, grab one of his coworkers at his shop and imitate sex with it in order to. I'm just kidding. He didn't do that. That would have been horrifying as a yeah, no kidding. As a 12 year old, like now, Bud here is going to have sex with it just to show you what it's all about. That would be. It's terrible. a bit like it's a bit like that sketch in Monty Python. Yes, where they're trying to teach the boys about sex. It's so funny. Pay attention. He brings his wife in. He's got a bed, and he's having sex with her, and they're all like, "What?" That's a great <laughs> skit. Like folding paper airplanes and looking uh, out the window. Yeah, <laughs> it's really funny. It's super funny. No, my dad. Um, I think my dad, like many uh, adults his age or from his generation, um, are also uncomfortable with it. Um, like they, they don't mind watching, like my dad watched porn. They had porn in the house. Um, there was porno magazines, mostly playboys. There wasn't really anything rougher than that other than penthouse from the seventies and bushy. So, um, but playboys were like, you know, tasteful. Uh, but I always found them, you know, I always knew where stash was. Um, Mm -hmm. he even had some at his shop. And so in the summers when I was growing up, we would go to his place of business. My dad uh, had his own company and he had a shop and he made doors and windows and stuff. And it was all guys that worked there. And, and uh, so he'd have stuff in the bathrooms. He'd have national lampoon magazines and mad magazines. And then in there, there'd be a playboy or two for the articles in the bathroom. Cause no one else is doing anything else in the bathroom. And, uh, and then he always wondered why we why- took such long bathroom breaks. Is it in that mirrored bathroom? No, this is this is at his shop. It's not this mirrored, no. mirrored oh, bathroom. Okay, so you can see your girth while you're going to the bathroom in his house. But, um, so I worked for him during the summers, and there was one summer in particular. I was probably twelve, so I was in middle school, and uh, it was after the shift was over, and he and a couple of the coworkers stayed behind. And they started drinking and talking and stuff. I was like, Dad, I'm going to go home. And he's like, no, no, I got to talk to you. I got to talk to you. So when I got the talk, because my dad was so nervous and probably so embarrassed by the whole thing, he was drunk. So he sat me down and he proceeded to tell me about sex. Now, I don't remember much about it. I remember being very annoyed by the whole thing because it was obnoxious how drunk he was. And he was trying to tell me all about this stuff. And he was kind of slurry because he was he was pretty wasted. And you think he was just that nervous to have that conversation? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I, I think that generation is just, they're, they're, they were always told like, those are things that are private and you just don't have those conversations. And in mm-hmm. my, well, they, my they grandpa, were told his you don't dad, have conversations about a lot of things. Like that was yeah. kind of the MO, like you don't talk about politics and religion at the dinner table. Yeah. Which is why yeah, I think like we're in the place that we are where people don't know how to talk about those things anymore, but yeah, without, without getting in a fight. Yeah. <laughs> being mad. I was like, well, why don't we learn how to, anyways. So, uh, my grandpa, his dad 
uh, was an alcoholic and I don't think he was a very personable person in that way. He was fun times, but he wasn't like, Hey, let's have a serious heart to heart conversation kind of guy. So I don't think my dad got the talk either. I haven't asked him. I don't really want to talk to him about it. Um, he might be even embarrassed. He might remember how he talked to me. Cause at one point in the conversation, he said, now listen, uh, when you're fucking a girl, oh, and by the way, we don't call it, f- you don't say fucking to them. You tell, you say making love. They don't like the word fucking. <laughs> like you had made a really big point. But after he said that, he continued to call the act fucking the entire time. This is how drunk he was. And it was super awkward. He's like, never really, my dad never really yeah. swore around us a lot unless he was like really, really mad. And usually he was really, really mad at doing something with his, uh, <laughs> with his hands. That didn't sound good. Working like on the house and things not fitting where it's supposed to be. That also sounds bad. And, uh, and then getting really frustrated. Then he would swear, but he rarely swore. So it was very uncomfortable for me, uh, to hear him say fuck so many times while describing mm-hmm. something that I already <laughs> knew it all about anyways. Um, but I, I, I think he felt like maybe he's checking something off the list. It's like he has to do it. So yeah, let's get is, it over. This with. is my dad duty. Uh, my mom was probably telling him, like, listen, he's got girlfriends. I think I've caught him with girls over the house, which he did. Um, you know, I need you to, you know, have this talk to him. So it was probably my mom that worked it, worked the angle so that he would have the conversation with me. So mm. that was my experience um, with, the, with the talk. Um, and uh, I, I do wish that I had more of a heart to heart. I think I would have, I think I would associate uh, sex a lot better. And I, and I think that might be true for a lot of people. I think if they had mm-hmm. people in their lives that, that told them the truth and kind of took it seriously, I think they might take the whole topic, uh, with more reverence. Mm-hmm. So, so I think, I think yeah. it does a disservice when you don't talk to your kids in a, in a reverent way and an honest way, you know? So, yeah, for sure. I, my brother and his wife, um, yeah, I think it, I think you're right. To that point, it gave us a really like almost unhealthy view of what it was, and we kind of had to like <clears throat> find our ways through it based on the porn we found, which was not a great way to have that conversation. Yeah. Um, but our, my family was like taught that we didn't really talk about this either. And my brother and his wife, Michael and Jean, they're great parents. They, he, of course, he's Mormon and she's Catholic, and so they both have a ton of guilt, and yeah. sex is uncomfortable, but they know it's an thing to talk about and it's important it's an and it's a healthy thing to talk about to understand um both the emotional and physical parts of it and how it works um because a lot of times you always hear about the this is how sex works the birds and the bees it's all about the physical act and you don't have conversations about the emotional act um but the physical part should be the easy part and one of the things that they did with their girls when they thought they were old enough is they like this is like one of these things that never existed when we were kids but they had found a book that was all about um, sex and anatomy for children to help them understand what the tell parents explain to their kids, what it is. Sure. Uh, it's like perfectly curated for my brother and his wife. And <laughs> so they, so they were like, we want you to read this book after you read it. If you have any questions, feel free. You can ask any questions you want. We yeah. can talk about it. And he said it was really funny after they read it, the girls came to them and were like, we're done. And they're like, well, do you have any questions? And I think it was Josie, who's the older one, Josephine, says, um, so you guys did this? 
Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, the and awakening that, and, happened. Like what? Yeah, and and that's how that's how we were made. Uh huh. <clears throat> okay. And then that was it. Yeah. Yeah. They're that, like now that now they have a basic understanding of what sex is and relationships and what sex leads to as far as having babies and yeah. Now that and they know the part. They always try to use like the actual terms for parts penis vagina they yep. always whenever they address them and parts of their body they always use the proper terms for them yeah um and they try to do it regularly so it's like demystified and not weird and awkward yes yep and, and i think it's been really important for them that so that's exactly how we approached our kids we we had talks right so mm-hmm. we didn't have one talk so whenever they would ask us the question when they were younger they weren't obviously sexually active when they were that young we would just explain it to them in very practical terms. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and what we try to relay to them was, uh, an emotional relationship. So Dan and I were, were affectionate to one another. We, um, we hug, we kiss, we hang out, we hold hands. Uh, we're not doing anything super sexual, but we're affectionate to one another. And we, we have them see that. And I think that's important for them to see that. And then, oh, yeah, for sure. And and that's an emotional part. Oh, so this is what a relationship looks like in an emotional way. Um, and then in the physical way, you're right. I I, I absolutely uh, <laughs> absolutely got uh, uh, agree with you that it is uh, easy to figure out the physical part. Mm-hmm. It is it's easy to figure out. You know, yeah, and and you will it's figure a it list. out. Yeah. Exactly. And with both of the kids, we had an anatomy book too. We had a, I think it's like discovery kids anatomy book where you can like lay on top, like the nervous system and stuff like that. And Mm. one of them is the sexual reproduction system. Mm -hmm. And then you can see like, Oh, okay. And, and then also, you know, we had talks with them with like what the purpose is. And then I was a teacher um, at a Christian school for eight years and I had middle school and high school students and so these topics would come up and I had permission to talk to kids um, from their parents because I'd let them know, hey, we're we're going into this part of the whatever, the curriculum where we talk about sex um, and we talk about biblical sex. So in the sense of um, not like, you know, you have to have a sheet in between you with a hole in the middle or anything like that. Um, you know, nothing weird in those ways. I think that's how like, but like as in like knowing someone. Knowing someone, yeah. So and he knew her. Yes. So I focused on uh, the emotional, spiritual part. I didn't actually focus on. And I told parents, like, I'm not talking about the physical part. That's your job as parents. You should tell your kids about that part. And if if by now mm-hmm. they don't know where babies come from, then you really need to sit this this kid down and, mm-hmm. and have a chat with them. Um, Maybe that kid needs to go to public school. They'll <laughs> learn about that real quick. <laughs> well, no. If your kid is sexually active, by the way, uh, you went to public school, right? I did. So what was sex ed before I continue my story here, but what was sex ed for, in public school for you? Uh, it was primarily about STDs. I think. Yes. Mine was I mean, you, le- you learn about the parts, but I think it was all a scared tactic to get you to yeah. put a hat on it. Yes. That's or to not to uh, abs- abs- abstinence was talked about as like the number one, but I, I feel like, so I, I had it in two different places. I had it in California which started much earlier. And then I had it in uh, Idaho, which started later. And it was like the same conversation. So I was prepared for it. And we had it again in like eighth grade, which I thought was weird. That's when we saw pictures of cauliflower dick. Yes. But yeah. Mutant, but a lot of it, mutant it was dick. Both, it, yeah. 
Yeah. So like, like, like round one was like anatomy. Yeah. It was like, here are the parts. Yep. Round two was more about like the, the physical acts and the potential consequences of those. Yeah. Um, and I think this is actually a really good spot to point out. It's, this is something that I always think about. We've always tried to t- tell Tate. When I say consequences, not all consequences are bad. Like it's the outcome that comes out of it. So like there are consequences to things you do. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad consequence. Sometimes it's a good consequence. Yeah. You know, like if you buy a lottery ticket and you win the lottery, the consequence of it is you won the lottery. But if you don't win the lottery is it means you're out two bucks. Mm-hmm. That's a bad consequence. Yep. So it doesn't always have to be bad, but I think it ran the gamut. It wasn't until Idaho until it got weird in California. It felt very normal. Yeah. And then in Idaho, like even my classmates were so weirded out by it because it's such a conservative state. Yeah. I, um, I only remember at West Seattle high school. I only remember the reproductive part, right? So here are all the fourth, organs. Fourth, fourth grade. That's when I had the reproductive. Oh, part, that's, grade. that's weird. Like I had, I, I don't remember in, elementary or middle school having any of that sex stuff it might have been reproductive stuff because there's science and biology classes but you didn't put the two to two together you weren't like thinking sex um but in middle in high school uh we definitely had like sex talks from the most awkward old teachers um that were it's like grandpa or grandma's like talking about sex and they would show the most horrendous photos of warty oh, herpy yes like cauliflower the scenario vaginas Ugh. and penises Ugh. and and you're like i don't i don't want this like i don't mm-hmm. and then you know if you had a girlfriend you're like that's gross hey you want to go do something later like you know let's let's only have sex together yes well i'm not a sailor you know i don't go port to port um so i was <laughs> i so i was i wasn't so I'm a Christian. I wasn't a Christian then. I'm a Christian now. I probably would have done things a little differently. So going back to teaching, and I would share this with my class. Like, listen, I'm I'm not trying to be a hypocrite. I know I'm going to say things like, you should probably wait. Um, I'm going to say things like, you know, it's it's a very spiritual act as well, an emotional act as well as a physical act. You know, most of you are thinking physically. That's a very human thing to do. There's you know, like you said, consequences, good and bad. You're going to get emotionally involved. You're going to get spiritually involved. Um, if it doesn't work out, you're going to be devastated because you've you've given more probably than you maybe should have because you thought this person was the one. We're always thinking this person is the one. Yeah, especially at that age. Yeah. Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because you don't because you don't. Yeah, you don't even know what love is right now either, mm-hmm. and so you give away things for free that maybe you shouldn't give away for free. You know. And, uh, so I told him that right off the bat, like, listen, I had sex before marriage. I had no idea, you know, and, and that doesn't necessarily excuse me. I believe God redeems that as I've asked for forgiveness for that, um, for that. And with my wife in particular, because we've been together since I was 14. So, um, but I'm not, you know, always the case. And I've met lots of people who have waited, grew up in Christian homes, waited and are super happy and their sex lives are very full i'll put it that way Mm. um and and i've i've met the opposite and i think it just i think it's just human all the way around but uh i tried to teach them that you know one of the things that you do is you start intertwining yourself with another person's soul and the spiritual thing takes a toll now we tell ourselves a lot of things that maybe it won't and stuff like that but 
deep down, even in the, in the pleasure thing where you're just trying to have sex and it just feels good. And, you know, no one's, no one's trying to get wrapped up. There's a part of you that does continue just to get wrapped up in it. And and that's seen, I believe in pornography in which it's giving you a false idea of what sex is. It's just giving you the pleasure physical part, but it, you know, none of these people look like they're necessarily in love when they're doing it in porn. So to me, it feels like no, a very, I don't think that's the point. It's not the point. So, so it's only focused on the pleasure physical part, um, which is very um, enticing, but it's not mm-hmm. really the fullness of sex. And not so, what it could be. yes, exactly. And so that's what I try to teach. Like it's so much more mm-hmm. like, like stop thinking in these terms and think in ways in which that this is this is a much more uh, special, bigger thing than you can think of. And it's not just for reproduction because it is that for sure. Um, but it's also it's a it's it's a deeper level thing that if you get to share it with this person, then it's pretty fantastic. So two things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trina says that she started sex ed in fifth grade at Kimball. Yeah. So, so she's somewhere that feels in the so middle early. There. I don't, <laughs> those, I mean, it, it I don't remember any this, of that. Like the problem with the, the like thought of it being so early is like, what is it actually about? Yeah. And I think there's, there is a balance. Like you're not going to teach the same thing to 15 year olds that you're teaching to 10 year olds. Yeah. But I think the conversation is valid. Yeah. I think if it's done correctly, it's not such a bad thing. My second question is, you talk about intertwining of souls. How do you have that conversation with somebody who doesn't believe you have a soul? Mm. And I'm not talking about the like goth, like I have no soul. No, I understand. But so, like somebody like, who just doesn't believe in religion is not a spiritual person. Maybe They're not a spiritual person. How do you have that conversation with that person? I mean, you can just, you can use, you can substitute soul with emotional, you know, cause there's an emotional toll to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's uh that that feeling of of loving that person giving yourself to that person you know it's mm-hmm. you have to uh when you're having sex i mean you have to uh set down so many barriers of protecting yourself right you know you're you're naked you know so you know that you're very vulnerable so it's a very it's a very emotional vulnerable thing right so you're trusting the other person basically Mm-hmm. And, and so I think in that way you can, you can speak on an emotional level. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be spiritual, but even then that, that there's a cost to that too. Right. So if that person doesn't reciprocate, you know, then, yeah. then you'll feel that. Sure. Well, and especially early on, like that physical part where you're like being very, where you're being very open and, and, um, vulnerable, like, yeah, that's a challenging time for sure. And I think it says a lot when you get to a point in a relationship where that doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Like, I don't, I know I don't have the best body in the world and I know Helen doesn't care. And like, and, that's not, not that she doesn't care. It's that it doesn't matter. Yeah. And Dana's the same way because it's more than, it's more than yeah. my physicality. Yeah. And it's a good thing too, because I like <laughs> being naked. I do too. I'm naked all the time. Like I, do I would too. tell tell you, like we're in a hotel room, probably naked at our house at the condo just here. Like I took a shower. I'm just wandering around being naked. Uh, when we're up at the cabin, oh, yeah. it's just two of us. I don't like, being I just naked walk that outside. Much. Oh, I do. It's the best. I'm like a little nature boy when I have my chance. <laughs> Woo. I don't and like it's not that I can't, it's not that I like want anybody to see me. It has nothing to do with that. Sure. I'm not like a voyeur or like a nudist or anything. Um, I just, 
I like when the temperature's right. I just, it, it <laughs> feels nice. When you don't it's account very, for shrinkage. There's a very comfortable, did you know that 82 degrees is supposed to be the perfect temperature for a naked body? Is it really? I yeah. It's no like the temperature, idea. it's the temperature where your body self-regulates the, the most efficiently. That's so fantastic. Like you, you feel the most comfortable. So you're not hot. Not You don't need cold clothes to keep you warm yeah. or a breeze to cool you off. You're like, that's the sweet spot. Oh, so you check so it. You get up in the morning. It's like 79 in an hour. I'm going to be naked. Oh, at 62 <laughs> or at 82, uh, at 69, I'm way hot. That's awesome. Uh, at 80, it, I set my thermostat to 82 and I take all my clothes off and wait for the joy to begin. That's awesome. That's not that's not true at all, actually, uh, because like you think about it, like that that sounds great uh, in theory, but when you're laying down in bed, you're laying on something that insulates you and is going to make you hot. So that's yeah. like standing with nothing around you to insulate you. So anyway, that's a non sequitur. That was fun. Um, uh, that was yeah. fun. Science. <laughs> I, I the do, science. I, science I, corner with John Harrison. Yeah. I do enjoy I do enjoy being naked with my wife too. Yeah, I enjoy and that. And it's like too. something very not you with your wife, with my wife. <laughs> yeah, that I'm glad you don't enjoy that. <laughs> no, no, I don't like you like that. I, I love your you as a wife. No, we don't we yeah. don't swap keys in this house. No. Um <laughs> Helen doesn't actually like sleeping naked naked next to me. Um this this is probably TMI, but we only have ten listeners, so I don't yeah, yeah it's fine. She actually doesn't like it because she she knows that if she's naked, I'm gonna try to get rain. <laughs> she's like, "You got to stop groping me. I need to sleep." That's so funny. <laughs> she puts her clothes to make sure that I don't. That's Signal funny. received, Captain Helen. I like it when it's really hot in August uh, here in Seattle because, uh, yeah, Dana does finally sleep naked, and that's that's nice. I don't grab a feel. It's just nice to look at when you get in the bed. That's all I'm saying. So. um you know, and so we try to have uh, healthy conversations with our kids. We try to have mm-hmm. a healthy relationship ourselves to show. And yeah, and, and you brought up a really good that point earlier, which I thought was really valid is that, like, what does a healthy relationship look like? Yeah. You know, like being affectionate with the person you love, it shouldn't, like, we were trained as kids to think it was gross. Yeah. And it's not gross, it's normal. It's yeah. like what you should hope for. Like, when you see an old couple that like likes to hold hands and kisses each other goodnight and tells them they love them, that should be something you celebrate. Yeah. That should be something you strive for. Absolutely. And we were kind of taught that like kissing and affection was gross. At least in my family, it was like not that my parents were never affectionate, but they really were not. My parents were not. Like it it seemed like when they kissed in front of us for whatever reason, it was like, whoa. Like yeah. I can't believe they just did that. Where and my, it's funny going to like my mom's oh, parents at, at dinner time, so if we went over to my grandparents, my mom's mom and dad, uh, they would say grace. And then my grandma would say, I love you to my grandpa. My grandpa said, I love you. And they'd kiss after grace. Hmm. And it was like the sweetest That's little so thing. Sweet. It's super sweet. And that kind of stuck with me. Like, but my parents mm-hmm. don't, my, my parents never did that. Yeah, and mine didn't either. And so in my mind, I'm thinking like, well, I don't want that. And I remember telling Dana, mm-hmm. like, I don't want that. I would like an affectionate relationship with you. And I'd like people, mm-hmm. I'd like our kids to see that mom and dad love each other. Yeah. Cause I'm not my, be ashamed of it. My brother and I, and even Dana talk cause Dana has been around for 30 years. You know, we, we talk about it. Like, like did my parents like each other? You know, after my mom died in January and seeing how much my dad misses her, I'm like, I think they loved each other, mm-hmm. but we couldn't tell. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> they just didn't show it to everybody else. Yeah, but we're their kids. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. weird. Yeah. Did you have um, the conversation? Like, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, Helen's parents are like the opposite. They're like, when, <laughs> and the day-to-day stuff, it seems like they don't love each other. They can be kind of nasty to each other sometimes. They get in these little like spats and, um, Snipe you each know, other. like, yeah. And like when, when uh, like one of them is away, the, well, her dad doesn't really talk about feelings at all, but her mom will vent. And, yeah. you know, you know, your father and he does this and he's like, what am I supposed to do? And then, but like, then we'll be at home. We'll be watching TiVo versions of Judge Judy or some cop drama. Cause that's what they like to do. And Blue Bloods. Rose decides to go to, yep. Blue Bloods. <laughs> when, uh, when Rose decides, oh, they also record some of the other weird, like, anyway, that's, just, no, yeah. I'm not going to get into that. Okay. <laughs> that's another, another episode. <laughs> um, they, uh, but like every night when she gets up to go to bed, she comes over and kisses her husband. Good night. And it's not like a, like a cordial kiss. Goodbye. But it's like, gets right in his face and it's smiling at him and kisses him multiple times and says, I love you. Yeah. And like after a day of them, like bickering, it's so it's almost, it's almost shocking. Oh, that this happens. Yeah. But yeah. if you, if you've seen it more than once, you're like, this isn't a one-off. This yeah. is very regular. I'm really glad they do that. This is probably why they're still together. Yeah, I agree. And the, uh, the, that's the kind of thing that Dana and I do too. So we, you know, we always kiss at the end of the night and I get up and I give her a hug and, you know, I just, mm-hmm. I want to be affectionate. I just want to be, I want mm-hmm. her to know. I want her to, I never want her to go to bed thinking, you know, he's very distant from me. That's a, that's mm-hmm. a shitty feeling, you know, because even when feeling. I feel like maybe she's distant from me, I mean, that doesn't feel good. That's, it's not a great feeling. So you know, we have to be intentional. And I think that's important to teach our kids, whether they pick up on it or not. You know, I would hate for my kids to have a podcast one day and be like, my parents don't give a fuck about each other. Like they never kiss. They never showed affection. That, that would heartbreak. That would give me a heartbreak. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think I, I read the other day as I was, I'm like doing my trying to be a better human being thing. As I read a, a quote that said, psychology says that when you are ignored by a person whose attention means the most to you, the reaction in your brain will be similar to physical pain. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like whether you know it or not, that person in your life, that connection that you've made is hugely important. And you might not know that you even are ignoring them. That's why it's important to actively make sure they know you're not ignoring them. Yeah, It's really easy to, to let oh, that go. That's a, and, that's a good point. That's a definitely good point. Yeah, I, from a from uh from my perspective, I think um and, and most people I don't know if uh in the church they don't talk a lot about sex in a Christian church, but in the Bible they do a lot, and so There's which so is much always sex in the Bible, and and then part of my uh, education with my students actually I have a student text me right now because he's listening. Hi Garrett. Um, Hi Garrett. And, uh, you know, so they can attest that I wasn't, I'm not BSing here. Um, but you know, the Bible talks so much about sex that it's, it's something that if you are a believer in God, God gave you this awesome ability and gift, not just to procreate, but to enjoy with your wife, um, or old Testament values, wives, if you want to get technical. And, um, and, and so it's not something to be ashamed of. You know, so I don't know at what point we became like really ashamed of this thing and not just being able to talk about it in a in an open way. Now, I I think the world sees sex differently. The world is outside of the church um, sees sex in a much different way. Um, 
not a totally different way, but I think they treat it differently than, than the church does. But I think also the church then also treats it differently sometimes than God actually does. So you have to, uh, if you're, if you're a believer in God, uh, you have to understand sex in the way, uh, or you should understand sex. I don't want to make demands, but you should understand sex in the way in which God understands sex in which it's, it's fun. It's awesome. It's meant to be intimate. It's meant to be procreational, but it's also meant to be recreational with your spouse. But does it have to be procreational? No, it doesn't. It can be recreational with your spouse. I mean, it can be enjoyable. It can just be recreation. I mean, uh, I cannot have kids anymore. I've had a vasectomy. Um, and so the recreational lovemaking that Dan and I have uh, is purely for our intimacy. It's it's, so a, the, it's expression so, of our love towards one another on a weekly basis. So then in God's eyes, is homosexuality wrong? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that's a different, that's a whole different topic. So in I the mean, Bible, homosexuality related. would be, uh, different than that. Yeah. Cause it's, it, even though it's not just for, uh, yeah, the Bible never actually, the Bible never actually says that. I understand, but it is made perfectly clear in Genesis that it was man and woman. And that's where they'll, it'll always hinge on. It yeah. But it's also made clear in the old Testament that you're supposed to stone your wife if she cheats on you. So. No, I understand. Where do so just, it's it's I'll, principles. It's it's hermeneutics, and so it's mm-hmm. principles. So there are uh, there are laws. So that I mean, Christians don't so how, also do festivals and stuff anymore. With no, but how do you decide taxes. what's a law and what's not a law? So that's like great. How, who who gets to pick? No, I understand. So there, it's hermeneutics. It's called the art mm-hmm. and science of interpreting the Bible. Yes. And so what you do is you find the principle of the Bible verse. And not necessarily the literal interpretation. Now, some things are just for Israel or just for a time or an age. And some things carry over into different ages. And so if you were to read, like, if you say, like, uh, we'll take, I know you want to talk about the homosexuality thing. Um, but in my mind, I always run to the, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, that doesn't mean as a principle I'm an MMA fighter and I can beat the shit out of my opponent, which I think is a really good X because there's actually was an MMA fighter who beat up his opponents. And his whole tagline was, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but he got his strength to, you know, make meatloaf of another guy's face through Christ, but rather like a very Christian thing to do. Exactly. So, uh, what it meant was, is that when you go through things in your life and whatnot, God can help you through it. He can see you through it. You can do all these things through Christ who strengthens you. It's not on your own strength, but on God's strength. Um, so that would be a principle, right? So it it's not specifically for whatever uh, was going on when that Bible verse was written, but there's a principle within it that can carry on. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, different, different people believe in those different things, uh, when it comes to homosexuality. Um, I, I love lots of people that are gay, so it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily bother me. Do I think God's okay with it? I'd say biblically no, but I don't get to judge them. So, uh, you know, I just treat them like regular old human beings that I get to know and love and not act weird around. So... I that's, think it would that's be how I take like, there's two parts of this conversation. I think it's a good conversation to try to understand what the Bible actually says about homosexuality. Cause mm-hmm. I think a lot of people 
just like with acres and acres and acres of things, they listen to taglines and believe what they're told and not actually think about it themselves. Sure. Um, so I think what the Bible says is a good conversation, maybe not for this podcast, but a conversation for us yeah. or for the podcast. I mean, if people want to want to get in, that would be a good one. We have people that are actually experts in this. Yeah. Um, but the flip side, and one thing that I actually really love about you is uh, I, I posted all the other things I don't like about you is <laughs> <laughs> what's your, what's your Twitter <laughs> handle? <laughs> things I hate um, about Wes Olson. one thing one of the things i really appreciate about you and i I think we see the world the same way is like my job is not to judge people it's to love people yeah and ultimately that's what the bible is telling christians to do is to love people it's not your job to make that that judgment to be winsome anyways yeah and you do a good job of judging people even in the face of something that you seem you you might feel is is contrary to a belief it's you definitely have the stand of well, that's not really my place and you're a human and I should love you. And I think like when it comes down to it, sex in its right form is about love and respect of the other person you're with. Hmm. Right. And that's kind of what a lot of this is boiled down to is like, what is that right moment? What is that right time? And it doesn't mean you can't have several partners over the years or even multiple partners at the same time. That's not a judgment I get to make, but it's like the love and respect that goes along with it and the understanding of what you're doing and the intent not to hurt somebody. Cause yeah. I think if you're just using somebody for sex, there's an intent to hurt. Sure. Or, or at the very least a negligence. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be personally judged for the sex you're having. Um, unless it's with you. I mean, maybe, uh, but, uh, I, I will be judged by my own thoughts and my own way of life. And that's not always perfect, which is hard for me then to judge other people because I know the imperfectness that I have, that I have to go to Jesus every day and say, Hey, I need your help with this. Or, Hey, I'm feeling this way. Or, Hey, I I'm lusting or, Hey, you know, all those, I'm frustrated sexually, you know, all those things, you know, that I have to, you know, I confess to God every morning on my drive and throughout my day. And, um, because I'm just a normal human being, I'm just trying to figure out and walk through this life as long as he gives me, uh, as, as everyone else basically. So, um, if I can't, it's hard for me to criticize other people, uh, with the log in their eye when sometimes I have a splinter in my own and, uh, and, and ultimately they have to be, uh, they have to be responsible to God for themselves. And if they don't believe in God, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I, that's not even my responsibility either. That's the Holy Spirit. I could try to be a good witness. I could try to be a good, um, you know, a, a person that's a good representative of Christ. So maybe they might see Christ in me, you know, someone who loves and dies for them. And you know what I mean? All those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I, I can't cast stones. It's not, it's not what God asked me. It's not what Jesus asked me to do, uh, for sure. So, um, that's, that's usually kind of where I stand on those things. If people ask my opinion, I'll give my opinion, but that doesn't mean that I, you know, I'll say, well, I believe that the Bible teaches this, but I'm not going to treat you any differently. So there we go. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm not asked to treat you differently. I might think differently than you and that's fine but I'm not going to treat you differently because I know you're just here figuring it out like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, that's the basis for the starting of this podcast is we would have conversations like this where we disagree and yeah, like we still love each other. 
there's still a mutual respect, which I think is important in yeah. all these conversations. Well, and, and you and I know that there's we're going to have differences. Some of them are going to be really, really small. Some of them are going to be really big, and we're going to have a lot of similarities. Yes. Um, and, and at the end of the day, we just we just we already understand that. Mm-hmm. So when we get in these kind of conversations, you already know what my answer is going to be. Yep. Um, and and so well, but it's not a surprise. Not I think I think the conversation is just still worth having because I I think to that point. We assume a lot about other people and yeah. we've had enough of these conversations where I think I know what your answer is going to be, but that doesn't necessarily mean I do actually know it. And like, what's the point in asking the question if you already know it? Like I, I mean, that's true. having a gen, having a genuine desire to understand. Yeah. And I know sometimes I get drunk and try to convince with questions <laughs> as opposed to like, I like when we get understand. really hammered and we start yelling at each other. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's really fun. <laughs> I mean, it is. It gets stupid. And we start laughing because we know we're it just does. being ridiculous. It does happen. And then we make our wives uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. People leave around us and then we just start yep. laughing because it's just because <laughs> oh, yeah. we're we doing totally it on purpose. That. We know we're turning it up because we're we're going to start laughing here pretty soon. So we start getting really. And I start saying really wild things because I know that now we're in a ridiculous place. So mm-hmm. let's just let's just go all in. <laughs> Oh my gosh. You so know. silly. So here are a couple so of comments silly. that people made uh, when I asked them on uh, some of the social platforms. Um, one, one gentleman said that uh, his dad was giving his older brother the talk. So he got it secondhand while listening to his dad, give it to his older brother. And he was horrified because he said he was around nine or 10 secondhand sex. Yeah. Secondhand sex talk. Talk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another person said that they were a bookworm and they just read the book that, their parents bought for their older sisters and they were like eight. Oh, so they didn't have to. And they didn't, they didn't follow up. They never had the conversation and they felt fine with that. Like, okay, that's great. I don't want my parents to tell me about this. Done and done. Uh, I have another person here that said uh, their parents never did. Uh, and, and it was one way for them to avoid the awkwardness. Uh, their mom did talk to them about domestic stuff, which they appreciated, but, they were smart enough that they had a library card and they went and figured it out for themselves. Um, what's, what's domestic stuff. It just said domestic, domestic stuff. So as in like with the parents specifically, I don't know if it, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't ask that question further. Like uh, was it like how to keep a household, like how to, or like don't storm into the bedroom when you hear, <laughs> when it sounds like we're jumping on the bed. I mean, we're maybe. not having, we're not having that kind of fun. Yeah. I, when I was younger, my, my bedroom was two closets, hallway closets away from my parents' bedroom. And I woke up in the middle of the night and my dad was going to town on my mom. But in my <laughs> kid brain, I thought he was hurting her because she was yelling. <laughs> and I got out of bed and walked in their room and asked them if they were okay and why was mom yelling. And they just told me to go back to bed. <laughs> But my dad was hitting the headboard on the wall real hard, just just to let you know. So, I mean, there is there is like nothing worse than like trying to keep the bed yeah, quiet. Yeah. Well, so Sophia's caught Dan and I. She's just walked in on us, and I had to like jump like to the side of the bed where <laughs> the door wasn't. And she said, "All I saw was Dad's hairy butt like flying across <laughs> the room to hide." But then like, it the doors closed in like, the middle of the day. What? Don't come in. Like it brings up another question of like, why is our instinct to like hide when somebody walks in on us? We know it's our kid. Like, you know what? You're, you're just going to see what you see. But she wasn't little. She was, she was in high school. 
But still, that's their fault. That's I mean, not my fault. I know, but I, I still, I don't want her to see me. I mean, and their mom. I get and, uh, it. It's, it's you know what I mean. I just, yeah. it's like, it's like ducking when somebody shoots a gun. Yeah, we could talk like, about just... it. I just don't want you to see it. Uh, you should have just jumped in front of her like that raccoon that puts his arms yeah. up. Just, ah! <laughs> just burn that in your memory. You'll never walk in You'll again. Never do this again. <laughs> When I was growing up, my dad, my mom would already be off to work and my dad would wake my brother and I up and uh, we were really hard to wake up. So my dad, as he was taking a shower, he would run out of the shower with a a head full of soap and come into our bedrooms (laughs) naked and soap us with the hair, with the shampoo in our, in our, in our own head and stuff like that. And so we had to get out of bed. And I just remember my dad just walked around the house naked in the morning with us boys. Like it was like, and it was like no big deal. And I always felt like, wow, that's awesome. But at the same time, I was like, oh my god, like I don't want to see this man's penis every day. Yeah, it was a little weird. My dad was like super conservative, but he also grew up in like playing sports and showering in locker rooms. And so yeah. when we'd go on the weekends to play racquetball at WSU because it was free, yeah. we'd shower afterwards, and then we're all naked together. Yeah, but like around the house, that wasn't a thing. Well, well like it it taught me a different like mindset when i'm in the locker room so like you go to junior high and high school and you play sports and you should shower after pe and most people wouldn't i always would because i i stink yeah but people wouldn't because they don't want to be naked yeah but it was very comfortable for me because i was like i'm in here for a very functional reason i don't give a shit about anybody else being naked i just need to make sure i don't smell like a skunk yep well I would have in middle school. I think middle school turned me off to the whole public shower thing because we had a very perverted gym teacher. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. And he would sit in the glass window in front of the glass window to make sure that we showered every day. Mm. And he'd watch us. And I was like, nah, I'm good. I'm out. That's that's a little creepy. Uh, One other person here said that their dad did give them some life advice when he got his first girlfriend. And it was, son, remember nothing's free. Mm, that's good <laughs> advice. I thought so too. So when I heard that, I was like, well, that ain't so bad. <laughs> oh, that guy, that guy's an old, that guy's an old great, grateful tour, grateful dead tour guy. Yeah, exactly. Cash, grass, or ass. No one rides for free. <laughs> oh, well, uh, folks, thank you for listening to John and I, uh, talk about this, uh, somewhat serious, uh, topic. Uh, but you know, maybe you had the same kind of experience and whatnot. We'd like to hear about it. So you can, you leave us uh, comments. You can go to fountain.fm. That's, uh, the podcast that I prefer. Uh, and you can find any of those kind of cool new podcasts at podcastapps.com. And you can leave us a comment, give us some Satoshis. Cause we are a value for value podcast, which means we don't take any other kind of uh, corporate sponsorships, not that anyone give it to us, maybe Squarespace, but they'd probably drop us real quick. We might um, get Trojan condoms after this Oh, episode. yeah, we might be able to get Trojan condoms. Uh, but uh, we do appreciate just comments. Uh, so we would like to know our listeners, our balderdashers, if you will, and uh, just how, what you thought about the episode, what your personal feelings on some of this stuff is. We'd like to hear that. Uh, last episode we talked about road trips we're still looking for some comments on what your favorite road trip was and we'll read them on air and uh and just have you as part of this community so uh, again fountain.fm you can go to podverse uh you can donate there too 
And uh, we had some listeners, they tell us different whiskeys and beers that they'd like to hear us review and try. You can even do that as well. And we'll put it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So I just want to make sure that you guys understand that. And you can always uh, leave us comments at beerbourbonbalderdash.com. You can leave us an email at balderdashboys at protonmail.com. Uh, or, like I said, any of these po- new podcast apps, podcasting 2.0 apps, value for value. Um, and you should check it out. It's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Tell us your favorite beers, too. Yeah. We, we need- love trying new beers. So we, yes, we, we do. Uh, yeah. And hey. the, the better, the more the lead time, the better we can have a chance of getting it. Yeah. If we can't find it, tell us where to get it. Yep. It, well, you know, in the beer junction, it's usually pretty good about that stuff. So, yep. uh, anyways, this was episode 69, The Sex Talk. And I am Wes Olson. I am Johnny No Pants Harrison. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Beer, Bourbon, and Balderdash. Good night. It's very appropriate on this episode. Yeah. Fuck. (laughs) Double time. (laughs) Oh, I got to turn off the music and we'll play that real loud. 69, dudes. There we go. Good night. (laughs) Cheers. Good night.